Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. Thank you guys for your kindness. You might notice that there was a little change in scheduling, and I'm glad that you came, but I realize I'm probably not who you came for. So sorry about that. You will hear from Pap the Preacher for sure some other time, but we had to switch a few things up for tonight. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks. I just felt like I might need double hydration tonight. Are you guys okay with that? Usually I have none, and then I start to choke on the dryness of my own mouth, so I'm setting myself up for success tonight because I'm excited about what I'm going to talk to you guys about tonight. So first of all, thank you for coming. I'm always excited and happy to see you guys here on Wednesday nights, and I appreciate it so much that you're here. Tonight's message is called, What's It Going to Take? And I'll tell you where this came from. It came from a little place of frustration. Have you guys felt frustrated in the last few years at all? Everybody has over something. What like a, sometimes this isn't the truth, but sometimes I just feel like what a lousy like what a lousy few years. There's a lot of good things that came out of them, but overall like double thumbs down for me the last few years. Not that enjoyable. But I keep thinking, you know, what's it going to take for the church to really be what it's called to be, what it's designed to be? That's been a part of my frustration. Not only has, like, world events been a little crazy, but the church has just been disappointing. Disappointing, right? COVID hit. The absolute worst in people came out all over social media. They were fine with sharing it publicly. It was disgusting. I was shook. I was like, is this what people are really like? Like, is this what they've been sitting at home really thinking about all this time and we just didn't know it? Are they really just like unleashing all this like nastiness on people just to argue on Facebook? I don't care how irritated I ever get. I will never argue on Facebook. And I'm not even trying to shade anybody, but good heavens. Save yourself the embarrassment. No one's going to be changed by your, like, lengthy rant, you know. But it was sad to me. I expect that from people who don't know Jesus, but I would say that I probably saw it more from people who do know him. That's a big part of what was so disappointing the last few years. It's just like, wow, like, is this the state of the church? Like, I read the Bible, and I see what the church is meant to be, and then I look at what's in front of me, and I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the global church. I love this church, but we're all one body of Christ, right, all over the whole world, and just see all that was just gosh so disgusting you know it was just terrible and it just got me thinking what's it gonna take for us to be who we're called to be what is it gonna take for the church to really look like the body of Christ hello we're supposed to be the body of Jesus actual Jesus (laughs) it's so interesting that I don't know if we've looked like that very much at all for the last few years but I want to read to you um, a foundational passage out of 2nd Corinthians 6 tonight Verses 14 through 18 in the New Living say this. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and I will walk among them and be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And this passage just struck me this week where it says, Therefore, come out from among the unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. I'm going to make that clear tonight. All the things that I'm going to talk about, I'm talking to Christians about. Unsaved people 
are going to act like unsafe people because they're living life without Jesus. I would look like a dumpster fire living without Jesus. Sometimes I still look like a dumpster fire living with Jesus. So this is not about people who are unsaved. This is not about people who don't know Jesus and don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, okay? This is for church people. It says this, come out from among the unbelievers and separate yourselves from them. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And that is what has had me so just grieved the last few years. There's too many believers, too many people who know Jesus and they're hanging on to filthy things for no good reason. Just because they think, well, everybody's doing it, I can do it. The whole world acts like this. Yes, the whole world doesn't have Jesus. You do. That's the point. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. That doesn't mean be judgmental. It doesn't mean be rude. It doesn't mean don't have friends who don't know Jesus, right? It's not saying any of that, but it's saying, hey, your behavior and the way that you live your life and the way that you treat people should be completely separate from those filthy things that you're seeing other people do. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What is it going to take to get the church to let go of just all that filth? There's three big things I want to talk about tonight, but there is so much that the church has just held on to for no reason. And I am not surprised at all that there's a ton of people who say they don't want anything to do with God in the church, because why would they? Why would they? If the church is just a pool for gossip and gross judgment, why would they want to come be a part of that, right? If Christians are hateful and rude towards people who don't think the same way they do, why would anyone want to be a part of that, right? If Christians are sad and depressed and they look exactly like every other person on the planet, why would anyone be compelled to come to church, right? I could say, well, my church is great. And People will believe me if they like me, and people won't believe me if they don't like me. That's the bottom line. And it's not a game to make people like me, but it is a realization that, hey, I really need to act like Jesus if I want people to meet him, because the only Jesus they know is me right now. If they don't know Jesus, they just know me, that will determine whether or not they want to meet him. You know you have those people in your life that are like, oh, you should come hang out with me and my friends, and you're like, oh, I don't want to right? Because you know somebody's friends are probably just like them, and at least a little bit, right? There's been other people who've been like, hey, you should come hang out with me and my friends, and you're like, okay, great, I would love to. Like, if your friends are like you, I would love to meet them. Well, what do people think about Jesus when they meet you, right? When people meet me, do they want to meet Jesus? Because in their mind, they already have when they met me. If I'm a Christian, then they're looking at me and saying, okay, well, if that's what Jesus is like, no thanks. So I don't blame people for um, the harsh things that have been said against the church and the criticisms and this and that and the other. Much of it is valid. Now, I'm not saying that about every church. This message isn't about trashing the church. I love the church. It's what I do with my life. I love it. But I am saying let's rise to a higher level. Let's really be who God has called us to be. Let's see our churches filled with people who are meeting him based on the fact that they met me first and they wanted to learn more. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. Don't touch those filthy things. Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. So this message is called, What's It Going to Take? And I've got three questions to ask. The first one is, what's it going to take for us to spend time with God daily? What's it going to take? I am not meaning this in a judgmental way, but I can tell that most Christians I know don't spend time with God daily. Because you can tell. When somebody does spend time with God daily, you can tell, right? The fruit of the Spirit are present in their life. The Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, or we could say the result of spending time with God, right? The result of His Spirit living in us and us spending time with Him. It's things like love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control, right? Right off the bat, I know if somebody is not possessing those qualities, they're not spending time with God every day. And we don't have to be perfect, but listen, when you get around people who spent time with God, you can tell. And when you get around people who have not spent time with God, you can also tell. And when I'm around many, many, many Christians, there's not a lot of evidence that they spend time with God very often. What's it going to take for us to spend time with God daily? We get tired of hearing this because it's so fundamental, but we're not doing it because it's so fundamental, right? We just take it, well, it's enough that Jesus loves me, God loves me, there's grace, there's mercy. Even if I don't read my Bible every day, he still loves me. That is 100% true. I believe that one. 100%. And have I missed many days reading my Bible? Yes. Have I missed many days in prayer and in worship and and spending time with him? Yes, absolutely. But here's what I want to say to you tonight. If we're to be the church God has called us to be, we will have to spend time with our God daily, right? If we're meant to be like Jesus, we will have to spend time with him. And it's not a legalistic thing and it's not about rules, but it's about making us more like him. I like me better when I spend time with God. I don't like me very much at all when I don't spend time with God. That's the bottom line. I am doing it sometimes to make myself better. I'm doing it because I love God. I'm doing it because I want to serve him. It's important to me to spend time with him. But on top of all of it, I know that I'm walking through this life as a representative of Jesus, and I absolutely cannot represent him if I don't spend time with him and I don't talk to him. So what's it going to take for us to spend time with God daily? Jeremiah 15, 6 in the Amplified says this, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became a joy to me and the delight of my heart, for I've been called by your name, O God of hosts. And there's two things in this verse that I love. It's amazing to me that his illustration for consuming the word of God is to eat. Right? I found your words, and I ate them. What's something we do every day? Eat. What's something we don't forget to do? Eat. What's something we do too much of? Eat. We're having a literal ice cream bar tonight, and do you know what I did right after work? I got off work at 4, like, 33. I went straight to Chiller's. I got a dirt sundae made with cookie dough hand dip. About halfway through, I was like, we're having an ice cream sundae tonight. What the heck? Like, I can't have ice cream twice in one night, but I know I'm going to because if it's in front of my face, I'm going to eat it tonight. So two ice cream sundaes one night. I eat a lot of ice cream when it's cold, but then when it gets warm, I eat more ice cream. I go to indoor ice cream, which is graters in the winter, and then I go to outdoor ice cream, which is chillers in the summer, and I switch them seasonally, and I don't get indoor ice cream during the summer, and obviously I can't get outdoor ice cream during the winter because they're closed. So I operate on this schedule really in a committed way, but I don't forget to eat. I eat even when I don't need to. I eat ice cream even when I'm going to have ice cream later for free that I didn't have to pay for and wait in line for, right? We don't forget to eat, right? We do it every day. Well, the Bible says, listen, uh, Jeremiah was saying, I found your words and I ate them. He felt toward the word of God like we feel towards food. That's how I want to be. I've got to have it every day. And I've got to have it multiple times a day. And I've got to have it even when I feel like I don't need it. And I'm going to do it even really when I'm, like, not that hungry. We all eat when we're not hungry. Get over it. You're telling me I don't want to read my Bible? Please. I ate earlier, and I wasn't even hungry. You don't have to be hungry to eat. Just like you don't have to want to read the Bible to read the Bible. Go ahead and do it anyway. I found your words, and I ate them. The Bible is something that should be a daily part of your life, a daily part of your life. Another part of the Bible in the Lord's Prayer, right, it says, uh, give us this day in our daily bread. Jesus was referring to his relationship with God as daily 
bread, right? Or a staple of life or something that I'm eating, something I'm consuming, something I'm thinking about every single day. And along those lines, I wanted to bring a little clarity to a phrase that you may have maybe heard around here. And that is uh, something maybe along the lines of like, we're a word and spirit church or we're word and spirit people. What does that mean? I was really thinking this through because I was thinking, well, what, what does it really mean? Like, okay, I identify with maybe being word and spirit. What does word and spirit even mean? So it means that we emphasize both equally and that both the word of God and the spirit of God have an equal place of importance and voice in our life. And there are some people, and this isn't a criticism. I'm just kind of making a distinguishing feature of what we believe. There are some churches who don't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they have been mistaught about it. Maybe they just don't know about it. Maybe they don't know about things maybe like speaking in tongues or praying for people, receive, believing for them to receive healing or uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, special gifts of faith and gifts of healings. These are all gifts of the Spirit, and we believe in those around here. Not every church does, and I don't mean that as a criticism. Like I said, they, they might just not know, or, or they may have been taught something that was different or different than what the Word of God says. But at this church, we believe in the Holy Spirit and his gifts, and we believe in letting him move, right? We've all experienced that. If you've been to summer camp, you've experienced that. I believe you experienced that on Wednesday nights. I believe we experienced it on Sunday mornings, right? Somebody gets up, and they say maybe something like, I just feel like there's people in the room who are struggling with this and this today. And you're like, that's crazy. I'm struggling with those exact things. I was having those thoughts on the way to church this morning. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit moving, giving that person utterance or helping them to say, something that people need to hear. Does that make sense? So that's the move of the Spirit, right? But we also emphasize the Word of God. We know some churches love the move of the Spirit, but maybe don't emphasize the Word of God so much, right? And again, I'm not here to criticize other churches. I'm just saying what our church believes is that those things have equal importance. We believe in the move of the Holy Spirit, but we also believe it's very important to teach the Word of God in a way that's honest, truthful, practical, and very clear according to what God said in His Word. We are to be Word and Spirit people. So if you guys are coming to this church, then I believe you identify maybe with both of those things. Yes, I love the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And yes, I love the word of God. And those two things are equally important and have an equal voice in my life. Well, those things will have no voice in your life unless you give it to them. If we believe we're to be word and spirit people, then the implication is that we need to be reading the word and spending time with the Holy Spirit and listening to his voice, right? If we're going to be word and spirit people, we want the Holy Spirit and the word of God to have a voice in our life. We have to give it to them. God is all powerful, but he's given us a free will and he will have no part in my life that I don't give him. The word of God will have no part in my life that I don't give it. The Holy Spirit will have absolutely no part in my life that I don't give him. That's why I emphasize all the time praying simple, easy prayers like, Holy Spirit, help me. Father, help me. I need some help right now. I need some comfort. I need some wisdom. I need some strength. I need some hope. I need some joy. I need some peace. Whatever it is, people don't pray prayers like that. And guess what? If you don't ask the Holy Spirit to move, he has no, no way to move in your life. You have got to open the door and let him in, and you can do it very simply by praying to prayer and saying, Holy Spirit, I need this right now. Holy Spirit, I need that right now, which I do all day, every day. But we are word and spirit people, and if you want to be someone who loves the word of God and loves the Holy Spirit, you will have to spend time with them. The second question, which I'm not going to take real long on this because we recently had a whole message on it, but what's it going to take for us to love one another? Galatians 5, 13 through 15 in the Passion says this. Are you ready? The end is a zinger. So don't, don't make eye contact with anybody on the last line. 
Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to set up base of operations in the natural realm. <laughs> well, <laughs> Lordy. I started so strong <laughs> in the natural realm. Constantly love one another and be committed to serve one another. Hello. That's what we should be doing. Be constantly loving each other, constantly committed to serving one another. Even that person that's not your favorite, even that person that was rude to you last week, even that person that you think doesn't like you. It's all right. Be committed to loving each other and serving one another. For all the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. Here's the part that I was talking about. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, good heavens, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. This is literally the church that I've seen in the last few years. And again, I'm not aiming this at our church. I am saying the church, but I've seen it in our church too. I'm going to read that last line again. If you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, petty things, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Why does the church look like that? What's it going to take for us to love each other? We are acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. Have you guys ever seen a cat fight? First of all, it's freaky. Second of all, when it happens in the middle of the night, the noises that they're making, you think someone's being killed on your porch. It's not. It's just two cats. Um, they leave blood and hair everywhere. But also, they look really stupid, right? They're kind of the same size usually. No, there's not really going to be a winner. These cats can't kill each other. I've never seen a cat kill another cat. It could probably happen, but, like, these are just regular house cats who stayed out a little too late. They're not going to kill each other. They just look really weird. Their fighting style is kind of just like... It look, they just look weird. If you haven't seen a cat fight, <laughs> look it up on YouTube. It's really, it's odd. <laughs> they, they look so silly. Their backs are all like arched and they just look stressed and they're just making gross noises. But they also just don't have a lot of reach and they just like, they don't get a hold of each other very good. It's just like two seconds of contact and then nod and then just like a swipe and then it's just the dumbest looking thing. But that's literally what I picture when it says, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. You look dumb. It's not a good look for anyone to be petty and nasty and gossipy and critical of other people and saying, well, so-and-so said this. Well, I don't want to know what so-and-so said. I wasn't there. It doesn't matter, right? You know, I just want to let you know that some, you know, so-and-so said this about you. Well, if they wanted me to know that, they probably would have said it to me. So why don't you just avoid telling me because I don't want to hear it. We look like wild beasts trying to destroy one another, right? People going in on each other over nothing on Facebook, right? People talking about drama that happened like a year ago. Let it go. What is it going to take for us to love one another? And like I said, I'm not going to dwell on this real long because we recently had a whole message about unforgiveness and all that. But there is a point that I want to bring out tonight because that night we talked a lot about how unforgiveness hurts you, really, right? We're angry at the other person, but we're hurting ourselves, right? It will destroy your life. It will take your peace. It will take your joy. It will make you sick. It will make you hate everything. Unforgiveness is the worst. But I want to say tonight that unforgiveness, strife, and bitterness, they're doing more than just hurting you. They're really stopping God from moving. We're seeing these revivals, and we're like, wow, that's so amazing. That's so cool. Yes, it is. And we have to ask ourselves, am I having a role in keeping that from happening here? 
is my nasty attitude and these things that are still in my heart and this stuff that still just gets on my nerves, is that keeping God from moving? Because it 100% can. These nasty quarrels within the church, they are stopping God from moving. God is all powerful, but again, he gave us a free will. So God cannot do whatever he wants. He'll find a place where he can, but if he can't do it here, he, he's not going to. If we don't allow him to do it here with our hearts and our attitudes and, and just um, an atmosphere of forgiveness, an atmosphere of unity, God can't move, even if he wants to. And I believe that God is so good, he wants to move everywhere all the time, right? He's never trying to pass people over. He's never trying to leave you out. He's never trying to skip over people when you see God moving in a special area or in a specific place I should say um it's not that that he picked that area um because they're better than anybody else right it's not that he picked those people uh because he likes them more it's not that he picked that city just because he was destined to move there as part of his plan no he moved there because he could move there because they said, God, come, our hearts are ready. <laughs> we are walking in love. We have forgiven people, Father. We're here just for you, so come and move. God can move where you let him. God will move where you let him. But God cannot move in an atmosphere where people are acting like wild beasts, trying to go at each other over just petty things. Mostly when people are upset about things, this is just my opinion. Oh, man, it's just, it's just not important in the grand scheme of life. I understand that words can be hurtful, and I understand that people can disappoint you, but I want to say this in the kindest way possible. That's life with humans. And I love the people in my life, but everybody in my life can disappoint me. And guess what? There's a lot of people who love me, and I will disappoint all of them in one way or another. I might hurt their feelings. I might offend them. I might let them down. I may not always be there perfectly for them. They can have a reason to be irritated at me, but it doesn't matter. It is life, and it is so much easier when you just make a decision. Hey, I'm going to love everybody, and I'm going to accept everybody right where they're at. I'm going to understand that they're human, and they make mistakes. And even though they said something mad about me or bad about me, it's not a big deal. I want God to move, and that's what I'm here for. So I'm going to let everything go that would hinder him from moving. Don't act like a wild beast trying to destroy one another. What's it going to take for us to love each other? I have like 75 more verses on that right now. I'm like locked and loaded for the last couple months about that. So if you need more there, hit me up because I got you. Here's my last and longest point that I want to talk about because we haven't talked about this as much recently. What's it going to take for us to pursue holiness? What's it going to take for us to spend time with God daily? What's it going to take for us to love one another? And what's it going to take for us to pursue holiness? I want to bring out this point. There's a Bible verse that says, hey, you guys need to imitate your father like you're his children. And I've heard that verse, and I've always thought, okay, we need to love people, right? That's probably the number one thing that comes to my head when I think about God. Oh, he's loving. Like, he's so loving. And the Bible says that, and I also know this from experience. God has been so loving, so gracious, and so merciful to me. He has been so much better to me than I could ever deserve. My goodness. So I am. I often have those overwhelming feelings of like, wow, God is so loving. Like, He's so loving. But I used to think that was the standout trait of God. Years ago, though, when I was reading the Bible, there's a passage in Isaiah um, where he sees into the heavens and sees the throne of God. And he sees angels flying around the throne. And God prompted me just to really think about what they were saying. As they came around the throne and flew around, it would have been my assumption that every time they looked at God, they would say, wow, you're loving. 
Like, wow, you're loving. Oh, he's loving. He's loving. He's loving. But instead we see that as they fly around the throne of God, they say, holy, holy, holy. Three times, holy, holy, holy. And this was years ago, but that just shook me to be like, wow, is the most striking trait of God his holiness? Because this whole time I've been thinking it's his love, but maybe it's his holiness. If the angels have to look at him and say, holy, 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 what does that say about God? And in the same way when he says, hey, imitate me as my children, I used to think that meant be loving, which is true and is good. But I'm also now adding to that, no, that means be holy. If I'm to imitate God and when the angels look at him, all they can say is holy, 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 that's what I need to be. I need to imitate God in holiness. And I want to read you a couple quotes from Jackie Hill Perry. There's a book that she wrote called Holier Than Thou. I started reading at the beginning of this year. And some of these quotes I thought were so, so interesting. Holiness finds its most precise definition in who God has revealed himself to be. Could too many people think of holiness as maybe, I don't know, being a priest or being a lady with a bun and a skirt or, you know, just being somebody who's really vocal about not watching Harry Potter? I don't even know. But <laughs> holiness holiness isn't a person. If we say, talk about holiness or say holy and a person is popping in your mind, you have the wrong idea. It says, she said, holiness finds its most precise definition in who God has revealed himself to be. If God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. And if he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? I can trust God not because he's loving, but because he's holy. People who love me still hurt me, right? People that I love, I still hurt them. It's part of being human. We're not perfect. I can trust God not because of his love, but because of his holiness. Because I know that means he cannot do anything wrong. He can never lead me in a wrong way. He can never uh, speak to me in a way that's wrong. He can never give me wrong advice. I can trust him completely because he's holy. She also said this, it's because God is holy that he is kind, honest, humble, and faithful, a.k.a. loving. He is a God of love. The Bible does say God is love, but that love comes from holiness. He's able to love because of the way that he is holy. So if I'm endeavoring to love people the way God does, I'm going to have to walk in holiness. The level of love that I aspire to extend to every person and the way that I want to treat other people, it doesn't just come from love. It comes from holiness, right? Because the more holy that I live, The more that I pursue holiness, the more that I seek holiness, the more I will be like God and the more loving I can be. Does that make sense? That's why we're talking about spending time with God and knowing God and forgiving. All of this stems from holiness. I have got to pursue holiness or I can't be who God called me to be. I've got to carry that trait of his for everything else to come out of. Because if you notice, uh, if we could give a really simple definition of holy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a better definition in a minute. But if we, right, when we think about holiness or somebody being holy, we're thinking of them being without sin, right? When I bring sin into my life, I cannot operate the way God has called me to. I'm not the person that I was made to be when I'm sinning. And I know this from the word, and I know this from experience. Do you know the times in my life that I was struggling the most, and I was the nastiest, and I was the rudest, and I was the worst? Um, You know, it's because I was hurting. It's because I was dealing with depression and anxiety. But I had opened the door through wrong choices to let those things into my life. Sin brought those things into my life, and the outcome was disastrous. I didn't like myself, and a lot of people also didn't like me, and rightfully so. Because without holiness, I cannot be who I was created 
created to be. And I'm so grateful for the people who saw through that and still saw who I was made to be because that's the key to forgiveness. Like I said, take people where they're at. I can look at you with all of your issues and your shortcomings and your attitudes, and I can still see who God called you to be and created you to be. That's why I can love you anyway and say, hey, I don't care how you acted. I don't care how you treated me. I'm not going to stay mad about it because I'm here to see you be who God called you to be. So I'll forgive you of anything because I know that's not who you're made to be. You are made to be so much more, and I'm here to help you do that because there were people who helped me do that, who saw through my attitudes, who saw through my bad choices. They could have easily just dismissed me and said, hey, like, you fudged this up. You know, you're done. We need you out of here. And they wouldn't have been wrong for doing that, right? My behavior uh, is going to determine the outcome, but they were gracious, and they said, hey, you did fudge up. Here's how we need you to do it next time, and we love you and believe in you. And so that's why I can forgive people because I believe in who they're meant to be, not always who they're acting like they are. Because I can't be who I'm called to be without holiness. And I want to read this. Um, the definition of the Hebrew word for holy, kadash, kadash, kardash, kardashian, I don't know. It means, I'm sorry, that joke was, it was not for this age group. Kardashian jokes can only be for millennials. I'm sorry, guys. I am a little older than you. I'm a little older than you. So sometimes... I don't know. I like the Kardashians more than you do, probably. All right. The Hebrew word for definition, kadash, means to be set apart for a specific purpose. Being holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. From the Amplified, it says this. Therefore, since we have these great and wonderful promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. There's two things that I want to pull out of here. The first is that it says, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit. What is God telling us? Listen, Jesus died so that you could be holy, but you're the one who's going to make the choice if you will be holy. You knowing God doesn't make you holy. You knowing God makes you loved perfectly. It makes you righteous, which means that you have an open relationship with God. You have actual communication with him, nothing like in the way, nothing blocking. You don't have to go to a priest who has to go to God for you. You can go directly to God yourself. That's what being righteous means, right? I've been made right with God so that I can have direct contact with him. No one else has to be involved or do that for me. But Jesus' death also gave us the opportunity to live a life that was holy, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to remember, before the Holy Spirit came, people were living life without God on the inside of them. They were living life with God on the outside. They were living with a God who was far away. They were living with a God that they had to contact through a priest. They were living with a God that they had to bring sacrifices to and offer sacrifices for because Jesus' blood hasn't cleansed them yet. But you and I have such an advantage with the Holy Spirit, we actually have the opportunity to live holy. We can really live with the character of God. We can truly be holy or we can truly be set apart for a specific purpose. God made you to be set apart for a specific purpose. It's not a boring life. It's not a life of missing out. It's not a life of just like, oh, giving things up for God. No, it's gaining everything. It's gaining everything that you were trying to get through the things you gave up anyway, right? We are all trying to get the same things at the end of the day, right? We're trying to have peace. We're trying to feel loved. We're trying to have joy and have a good time, right? The things that God asks us to give up 
are the things that are keeping us from getting those things. And we get it so twisted in our mind thinking like, no, these are the things that are making me happy. No, these are the things that are hurting your life. So when God says, hey, be holy, he's saying, listen, set yourself apart for me to use. I know how to get you everything that you want and everything that you need. Do you really think of God that way? Do you think of him as somebody who's trying to get you what you want and what you need in life? That's who he is. He's holy and he's loving. That means he is perfect. That means his motives are always pure. So when he's asking you to do things, he's not trying to get things from you. What do you really think that you could have to give to God? What could he get from you? (laughs) He can't get a lot from me. I'm not going to speak for you, but God can't get much from me if I'm trying to act like, well, God just, you know, he just wants everything. Like I even have anything to give. I don't. He doesn't need me. When he's asking us to do these things, he's trying to provide for us. He's trying to give us all the joy that we've been looking for, all the peace we've been looking for, all the purpose we've been looking for. But we get to that by holy living and by living the way that God has called us to live, living set apart for his purpose. In Romans 6.19, I'm not going to read the verse, but it says in part of it to be slaves of righteous living so that you will become holy. And I thought this was a really interesting way to put it. Be slaves of righteous living so that you'll become holy. And this is something, I didn't have this verse at the time, but I was just prompted in the last year um, that I needed to be a little harder on myself, and I'll explain that, okay? I'm not talking about not having grace with yourself and not having mercy with yourself, but it felt like for like a, a little season of life, I had kind of been in recovery mode, right? Some hard things had happened. I was just trying to like build back up my strength. But God had kind of spoke to me and said like, okay, okay, you've been, you've been here long enough. Like we're going to move forward now. Pick yourself up and move on. Like keep going, push forward strong. Stop acting like you're weak. Stop acting like you're tired. Stop acting like you're hurt. I've taken care of you, so get up and go. Quit doing all this. And just really spurred me. I wish I had a better way to say it than to be hard on myself, but that's really really what it was. Like, hey, hold yourself to a higher standard. There we go. That's a nicer way to say it. Hold yourself to a higher standard. You're letting yourself slack off too much because you think what you went through was hard, but it's keeping you in a place of hurt, in a place of destruction when you're meant to move forward, right? All this time that you're thinking you're focusing on healing, you know, that did occur, but you also got a little lazy with things. So this phrase really struck me, be slaves of righteous living so that you will become holy. And We obviously connotate slavery with horrific things, and rightfully so. But one thing we can observe when thinking about slaves is that slaves didn't have a choice, right? Their dignity and their power of choice was removed from them. So when we think of this, be slaves to righteous living, I'm going to interpret that as removing my choice of living any other way. I'm going to hold myself to the standard of living holy, and I'm not giving myself a choice to do anything else. And that's really the attitude that God prompted me to have the last few years. Hey, just quit letting yourself get away from this, you know. Quit letting yourself slack off. Whether you feel like it or you don't, get up and do it. You're going to live holy. I'm going to show up and do it no matter how I feel. And that has been so beneficial for me. And I'm not talking about being too hard on yourself and, and beating yourself up over things. Please don't misunderstand But I am saying I'm committed to living holy, and I don't give myself a choice to live any other way. Let me clarify what I mean by that a little bit. I don't go places where I might be tempted to do the wrong thing. 
If you think that that's just something in high school or in college or whatever, it's not. You will have the opportunity to hang out with the wrong people and do the wrong things your entire life. You will try it a few times. You will probably do things you wish you didn't do. And then I hope you will become wise enough to say, you know what? I don't think anyone's really uh, gets to the place where they're maybe strong enough to not do things if it's right in front of their face, but they get to the point where they're wise enough to not even go there where it's available. That's what I had to learn, thank goodness, in the last decade in my life. You know what? If something is put right in front of me, I'm probably going to make choices I regret. So guess what? I'm not going to go to the places it's put right in front of me. That's what I'm talking about, being a slave to righteous living. I don't give myself a choice. There are things that I get invited to that sound fun and that I want to go to, but I know as soon as the words are coming out of those persons, mouth say, Morgan, you should come to this. Morgan's not going to that. (laughs) Morgan doesn't belong there. That doesn't align with the life that I'm living and my commitment to being holy, so I'm not doing it. Listen, to make it really practical. If you watch things that you shouldn't watch, then take away your ability to watch them. There's apps that you can put on your phone. You can use your computer next to your mother where you're probably unlikely to pull up something gross. You can uh, put all kinds of safeguards in your life. You can talk to people about it. Listen, even if you're tempted to gossip and stuff there were friends that I had um, that were they were great friends they were people that loved me and I loved them but I had to stop hanging out with them because when I got around them I didn't like the person that I was they brought out the worst in me they brought out nastiness in me they brought out gossip in me and I couldn't hang out with them uh, without doing that so guess what I stopped hanging out with them not in like a mean way I didn't cut them out of my life and be rude to them but I just started saying no when they invited me to stuff why because I'm committed to living holy I there's no choice here there is no choice I'm not going to give myself a choice to do that listen I know you guys are underage and stuff right now but there's still things that are available to you if there's people in your life who bring substances in your life that are addictive that are dangerous that don't are not healthy for your body and brain remove those people in your life remove your ability to be around them remove your ability to get those things that you don't need to have talk out yourself to someone say hey listen this person uh i buy this from them blah 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 blah. i need you to help me here right talk to your parents about it talk to a teacher about it talk to me or amsey about it there are so many things man that are just clogging up the lives of christians and they're they're just these little silly things but they're robbing them of a life of holiness and happiness they're taking that from them and i want to read this to you out of ephesians 4 20 I'm going to read down through verse 32. It's a little bit long, okay, but hang in here with me. It's good, and it's in the message. It says this, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him and been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have in it. It, Excuse me, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has got to go. I'm going to pause here right now. One thing that was so key in this to me was people. You cannot live a new life with old people. And this isn't about them. I'm not saying anything about those old people in your life other than if they're not willing to move forward with you into a life of holiness, they probably can't stay, right? And maybe they haven't been taught what you're not taught what you're taught and maybe they don't know what you know you know like I said I don't criticize people for for making wrong choices they don't know to do anything else when they don't have the Holy Spirit and I've made plenty of wrong choices but you've got to care about your own life enough to say where are these people taking me are they helping me to live holy if they're not let them go it says 
Everything, I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. Everything. Whatever you used to turn to when you were anxious, it's got to go. Right? Whatever you used to do at night when you were stressed, that's got to go. Like, there, it, it can't stay. That old life and a life of holiness, they can't stay after you meet Jesus. It says this, it's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all, and when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and get angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge, and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Too many people are having behaviors that are giving the devil a foothold in their life, and then they don't know why. Like, God, why aren't you helping me? God, I'm struggling. Well, he's saying, you're giving the devil a place, not me a place. If you want to give God a place in your life, make choices that align with holiness. Make choices that align with his character. All these little things, and I I hope I'm not coming across as judgmental. It really grieves me when I see Christians, um, man, just trying to get peace from other things. I feel for them because I've been there, but I also know they're giving the devil what it just called a foothold in their life, right? They're making a place to hold him up in their life and for him to be active in their life versus God being active in their life. I feel so strongly, man, these days just about, uh, I don't want to put, um, let, me, let me think of how to say this. I know and love people who drink, and I know and love people who smoke weed, and I know and love people who do a lot of things. But uh, I, just, I just can't understand the argument for Christians doing those. So I'm not, I'm not judging other people, you know, who are making those choices, because we all know and love people that, that are Christians and drink, and they're wonderful people, or Christians who smoke, and they're wonderful people. But uh, it just seems to me like we're missing out on the fullness of what God can do in our life, right? Not only does the Bible say, hey, uh, alcohol is, is not a wise choice, right? It's not wise. And, but I, there's so many people who still make excuses for it, and they're like, yeah, I know it's not wise, but it's okay. I got it under control. It's just one of the only things that I, f- I think people make excuses for in a way that you wouldn't make excuses for anything else. That's why I don't understand it. If you told me, hey, this is not a wise financial decision, I wouldn't do it, right? If it was somebody I trusted. Or if you told me, hey, this is not a wise career move for you, if it was somebody I trusted, I'd say, okay, I'm not going to do that. But the God of the universe, who I love and trust, says, hey, alcohol is just not wise. And that so many Christians are still just like, yeah, I understand, but it, I got it under control. You know, it's totally fine. And I'm just like, but why? Why are you fighting, <laughs> fighting for your right to do something that's unwise? And when you really get to the bottom of it, people are using alcohol and weed and everything else to address issues that God was meant to address, right? People drink because they're anxious and they need to take the edge off, right? People smoke weed for all kinds of reasons. Maybe they're anxious. Maybe they don't sleep well, whatever. You know, I got to have this stuff. It just helps me. It's, it's just anxiety, bottom line. Even when you're like, well, I just like to have a good time. Well, why can't you have a good time without it? Well, because I have social anxiety. Okay, that God's meant to take care of that. God can address that through holy living. He really can. I have never been more miserable than when I was living with sin in my life. And I have never been more peaceful and happy than doing my best to live a holy life. And I am not perfect, but it makes me so sad and also confused to see Christians just, man, hold on to these things with both fists and just say, well, I can drink. 
Well, yes, you can, but why do you want to so bad? Why are you dying defending that on the hill there? Like, what is, what is it about that? And I can only conclude that it's a ploy of the devil to get them to hold on to something that's hurting them. There is nothing in the word of God that makes me think it should get Christians so fired up about their ability to drink or smoke weed or whatever. I don't understand it because when I came into contact with God and I really, really, really started spending time with him every day and I really, really, really started letting him help me forgive people and be a person of love, I experienced a peace that cannot come from anything else. (laughs) Nothing else can do that. And so many people are just holding on to these things, trying trying to get peace because they think those things help them. And they're saying, well, it's harmless and it helps me. Well, God is meant to help you, and if you have to argue your right for something against the word of God, I just don't think it's helping you that much. Does that make sense? I'm not going hard on Christians who drink. I know that some of them can do it with a clean conscience, and I think that's between them and God because the Bible does have a lot to say about alcohol, but it says that it's unwise, right? And, and I understand. I understand other people's viewpoints, I promise, but it just makes me sad for them because I still think, man, that's just such a cheap substitute for what God can do. The Bible says says, hey, don't be drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy that he's offering a different solution to being drunk? He says, I know that you like it. I know that's a feeling you're going to seek after, but don't do it with wine. Do it with the Holy Spirit. I won't take all night talking about that, but God's way of doing it is so much better. I'll step off the soapbox for a minute. It says this, um, verse 28. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Go get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Christians shouldn't curse, period. Again, I can't understand why Christians will die on the hill of defending their right to cuss. It's just as easy not to, really. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself or making you holy. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. And I just want to encourage you to read that passage through the next week because to me that inspires me to pursue holiness so much when it's saying things like, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. That's my point when I'm talking about just Christians arguing for their right to drink or cuss or or whatever. We're just taking God's gift for granted. This life of holiness that he's made available to us has so much joy in it and so much peace in it. I just want to see a church who's really willing to do what it takes to live holy. It's not that hard. It's just a matter of choices. You're just going to have to sometimes do what you don't feel like doing. And that's life. You guys already do things every day that you don't want to do. Do you feel like going to school every day? No. When you get a job, you also won't feel like going to work every day. I promise. You won't feel like dealing with people every day. You don't feel like cleaning your room every day. You don't feel like scooping dog poop every day. I was usually an honest kid, but whenever I had to go out to scoop dog poop, I would, like, just move it around the yard a little so that the piles were in different places because I didn't want to do it. But... Too many Christians are just like, well, I don't know. It's just like I, I like, I know I should read my Bible, but I just don't feel like it or I just don't ever really want to. <sighs> Life is full of things you don't want to do. 
do it. I do things every single day that I don't want to do. But the amazing thing about spending time with God and forgiving others and really pursuing a holy life is that the more you do it, the more you will want to do it because the benefits will start showing up in your life. I promise there is just nothing like the peace and joy that I have trying to pursue God and be more like him. It is such a gift to be able to pursue holiness. And before Jesus died, I really couldn't have done that. I could have tried. We see evidence that people in the Bible did try, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the blood of Jesus that's made me totally clean. It can give me a fresh start any time of day. And I also have the power of the Holy Spirit who prompts me, who leads me, who guides me, who gives me the strength to do things that I don't always want to do, right? But the more that I do it, man, the more I just realize I wouldn't trade this peace and joy for anything in the world. Listen, there's been times when I struggled with temptation with this and temptation with that, those things can't even tempt me anymore because I know they can't provide the most precious thing that I've got that I'm not willing to give up. That's why I stand up here and speak so um, obnoxiously to you guys. That's why it's so important to me to bring these things up is just to say, I want you to live the life God created you for. He's holy and he's completely trustworthy. So if he's saying, hey, live holy, there is so much good reason to do so. You can trust him. Everything in your heart that you want will come when you serve God. The Bible says seek first, right? Anzi just talked about it. We seek God's kingdom first. We seek holiness first. He's going to take care of everything else. I don't have to work hard anymore to be peaceful and not struggle mentally. God takes care of it for me. And you know what that came through? Living holy, forgiving, reading the word, getting the word of God inside of me till I knew it, until I believed it, until I was speaking it. It's not a struggle anymore. It removed the struggle from my life. And it doesn't mean that there aren't um, situations that are challenging, but they just, I don't know, they just don't stress me out like they would have before. They can't take my peace. They can't take my joy. And I don't ever feel the need to seek out anything else but God when I'm having a hard time. Because once you find out what he can do for you and the peace he can bring, you won't want to try anything else. You won't argue for your your right to have a couple glasses of wine at the end of a stressful day. That's not the way that I unwind from stress. I unwind with the Holy Spirit, with worship, with prayer, with the word of God. And it makes me so much of a better, stronger person. So I love you guys. And what's it going to take? Let's just ask ourselves that question over the next couple of weeks. What would it look like for me to really pursue holiness? What would it take for me to really spend time with God every day? What would it take for me to love others the way God's loved me? And start doing it. Because if we want to see revival, that's what it's going to take. We can look at all these amazing moves of God and say, wow, that's so awesome. And we can drive down there and we can be a part of it. But if we come back and we're still not willing to spend time with God, we're still not willing to forgive each other and walk in love, we're still not willing to pursue holiness, we'll never see it. It'll just be a cool story that you say, oh, I was there. Well, what happened afterward? Well, I don't know. I went home, you know. I mean, really, and it, it makes the stakes so high to realize that I could keep God from moving. However, on the opposite side, it's very exciting to realize that if I, I do what's right and I pursue him, there's no limit on the way that he can move here. So I love you guys very much. I'm sorry because I feel like I was long-winded tonight, but we do have an ice cream bar that we're about to enjoy. So I'm going to pray, and then you guys can make your way to the kitchen. Is that right, Emily? And we're all going to have some ice cream together. So 
Father, we're super grateful for your word and the way that you've made things so easy for us. I know that I'm grateful for your love and mercy and the way that you made it so easy for me to uh, get back to a strong place, Father, and get to a place of peace and joy. And I just pray for every student tonight that you would begin just to stir their heart in the way that you've stirred mine, Father, to say, what would it really take for the church to be the church that you've called us to be? What would it really take for me to be the person you've called me to be? Holy Spirit, what do I need to do, Father? What do I need to change? What can I pursue to make me more like you? How can I pursue holiness? How can I love others, Father? And how can I better spend time with you every day? I thank you for speaking to each student's heart, Father, as they seek you. I pray a blessing over each of our students, Father. I love them so much, and I know you love them so much. And we thank you uh, for the opportunity we have here to be a family at the Corey, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media.